0: Hey everyone, Misaligned is back this week. We are going to just talk about a lot of things we've discovered lately and have been interested in. So in lieu of having the music we've been listening to section, it's sort of just going to be all lumped into one discussion today. And then as usual, we will have our recommendations. Before we get started, I just want to remind you guys that Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist is our book club pick, and I will be trying to watch the movie for that, too, because, Megan, I'm sure you want to discuss that as well. Yep. I mean, there's really not many differences between the movie and the book, but it is worthwhile watching. Right. And as another reminder, we just want to let you guys know that Misaligned is part of the Modern Vinyl family of podcasts. All of the shows are over at modern-vinyl.com. We have this, the Modern Vinyl Podcast, Missing Artwork, Pilot Study, and Vinyl Crawl. I don't know if Chris has anything else in the works for that, but it's slowly been growing since Chris has asked me to start this podcast, and that was, you know, what, at the end of 2015, I want to say. I'm really bad with keeping track of when I start doing things. So I want to say it was at the end of 2015. So we've been doing this for a little while now. And Megan, you came on at the beginning of 2016, I believe. So yep, we have quite a few episodes under our belt. We're on our way to 100, and hopefully we will keep this thing going long enough to get there.
1: Episode 100 is on the horizon. Only 30 (laughs) more. Actually less than 30. Yeah, it's
0: less than 30 to go. (laughs) And half of those should be guest episodes. So, you know, Megan, you only have, you know, half as many to worry about. This is true. But on that note, we are going to go ahead and dive into our discussion today. Megan has a lot more notes down than I do. So I'm going to let her start with something she's recently discovered. So Julia Carpenter works for The Washington Post.
1: And of course, I follow them on Snapchat and Instagram and Twitter because they've got great news. And her snaps have been very funny when she runs the post Snapchat. I digress. She also has a tiny letter called A Woman to Know. And I've heard about it for a while, but I only recently subscribed to it. And it is quite an interesting little newsletter. What's really nice is that she focuses on a a woman a day for five days a week, you know, except for weekends, Mm because people have to sleep too. (laughs) But this week, And I just had it up. Why did I X out of it? Today, in my inbox, her woman to know is Pamela Pixie Coleman-Smith. And Pamela Coleman-Smith is, it looks like, the woman who helped influence tarot cards. So she chooses random women from history and writes up a little blurb about them which is really cool. She adds some more reading to her list, gives a little bio on the woman, and more reading from sites like The New Yorker or Autostraddle, etc. And in the archive, there are many wonderful women in this archive. In the past week, she's talked about Eugenie Clark, Madame Clicot ponsardine Uh, Charity Bryant and Sylvia Drake in a bonus twofer tiny letter, Marquesa Luisa Casati. And going back further into her archive, she's written about artists like Yayoi Kusama, whose exhibit Infinite Kusama is currently at the Hirshhorn in DC. And I somehow lucked out and got tickets for that for my birthday while everyone else can't get them. Um, so if you're willing to wait in lines, if you missed out online, go see that exhibit because it's really cool. But going back to Julia's little archive, she's also written about women who both of us are familiar with, um, like Katherine Johnson, the woman behind Hidden Figures, or I guess I should say the woman who inspired Hidden Figures. Some of these women are very timely. Some of them are complete, you know, who would have thought to ever write about this person like today's? Um, I don't know. It's worth checking out if you are into history and like reading about some pretty kick-ass women, which I know I do. Who doesn't love a good piece about a very strong woman? As I'm continuing to go through these archives... I don't know how far back it goes. I know it's been a thing for a few months, but it's fun. And it, you know, makes me feel smart reading about all these women. And
0: I don't know. It's nice. Yeah. And because I'm so behind on movies, I haven't watched Hidden Figures yet, but I've heard all about it and it's definitely on my list. And, you know, I've always sort of been someone who doesn't like history and, you know, I tell people that and, you know, there's exceptions to that for me, because you want to talk about music history from, you know, specific time periods. I'm all about that. But when I was taking classes on music history at Drexel, we went so far back, we were talking about like Gregorian chants. And to me, that mm, wasn't the really monks. the exciting yes. <laughs> Right. That wasn't the exciting part. And in high school, when I was taking, you know, European history, US history, and all those classes, those didn't interest me because those were, I guess, more general and focused largely around all of the treaties and the wars and that sort of thing. But when you get something that's more specific like this, I feel like I'm more inclined to be interested in it because just from the names you've listed, it definitely sounds like something that is educational and something you can learn from. And obviously, all history is something you can learn from in different ways. But learning about wars, I don't know, It just, it's not something that relates to me personally. So I guess it's a little harder for me to be interested in that type of history. So I will definitely be checking this out. So thank you for that, Megan.
1: You're welcome. And I should say that the quote She usually starts out these tiny letters with a quote. And today's quote is, What I see when I hear music thoughts loosened and set free from the spell of sounds. Which, you know, I think is fitting for Pamela Coleman Smith. And I think it's actually really cool that this lady is behind tarot cards. Right. Other than the fact that in 1901 she left her home in Brooklyn And her job illustrating surrealist books to join an occult society in England. Like, that just makes me wonder why someone (laughs) would do that. I don't know. I think it's cool. So that's just, you know, the history buff side of me.
0: Yeah. And, you know, for people, it really just depends on what your specific interests are. As far as history goes, at least... For me, that's obviously the case, but I'm sure it's the case for a lot of other people because I'm sure I'm not the only one who could have been bored in high school history classes. No. I mean, somehow there are certain parts of history that made me
1: want to snooze and then other parts that you know really excited me. But then again, I'm the one that took a women's history class in college where I learned about great women throughout America over the years. And learning just about women's place in America since I think it was the, it, it was pretty far back. I know that the middle of the semester
0: was about like the 1920s. So there's that. Yeah, definitely. And with what I majored in and minored in, there wasn't much room for other classes. So history was definitely not first on my list. But to move on here from my little rant on history. <laughs> I recently found out about Anchor FM and I saw this because on Washed Up Emo's Twitter account, Tom was going through and using I believe it's Tom, right? I'm not getting these confused. Okay. No. (laughs) (laughs) Just want to make sure there. He made an account on the app and he was posting about it and you know, like when he was putting songs on the air, so to speak. And What the app does is, it's pretty interesting. You don't have to sort of sit there and play each song one by one. You can sort of, like Symbol, just search for songs. And then you basically add them to your station. And you can go through and add as many songs as you want. And then people can go through and sort of play it at their let leisure They don't have to be listening live or anything like I know Adobe does a lot of that where you can listen to it live or like what they do with modern vinyl. It is released as a podcast later, which since that's a podcast format, that makes more sense. But I don't know if they necessarily do that with their radio shows. And what it does is I believe it keeps your songs up for 24 hours and then it'll sort of clear your station out. That actually sounds pretty interesting and it makes me think of back in the day like Turntable FM. Right. I was never huge on that, but I've heard about it.
1: Yeah. Like I know a few of my friends were into that.
0: You would think I would be into something like that, but I just never really got into it. Same. And I only tried it out once so far. And, you know, I only got a few people listening because it's such a new app that I don't really know – what direction it's going to go in so far. But, you know, Symbol has stuck around. And I've tried to make myself use that more as well. But sometimes it's just I don't, which happens to me with Instagram, too. It's not that I don't like the apps. It's just like, I don't have anything interesting I want to put up at the time or something like that. So I've only used this once. And it was definitely interesting. And it's definitely a smooth experience, because the search is... Very similar to that of cymbals. You can sort of grab your songs from various services and play them that way. And, you know, I'm probably going to try to get myself to set like a weekly schedule, like, you know, 3 p.m. on Wednesdays. I'll go on there and post songs or something. I just have to figure that out because currently, I've decided that I need to rework my entire life schedule to sort of fit in all the things I want to do on top of the job search. And, you know, obviously, then when I get a job, I'll have to do this all over again. So that should be fun. And, you know, I'll post a link to the app in the show notes, and then I'll post My account specifically if anyone is interested in checking that out and i'll try to remember to tweet from the misaligned twitter what day i decide i will be doing this and my own twitter of course it's not bad at all yeah so what else do you have for us this week megan well this isn't so much a recent discovery
1: so much as it's actually been a band that i've been listening to for years okay but i was reminded of how good this album was the other day um priests nothing feels natural came out in january it is the band's first full length and lately it actually has been in heavy rotation for me okay and what was really cool was they had a song on sirius xmu yesterday jj was played and i geeked out a little because i'm not used to hearing priests on such a large platform They're a DC-based band who are just awesome. I don't even think I have words to describe them other than me sounding like a five-year-old. They're powerful. They pack a political punch. Katie Alice Greer is just amazing. And I love her. I've said that before on this podcast. I know for a fact I have. But it's great that they're finally getting this exposure. They're on Sister Polygon Records. And I think for a while they were on Don Giovanni as well. Okay, But it's kind of nice to see them garner a larger audience. And it's definitely, definitely an album worth checking out if you haven't already. I need to formulate some of the best songs of this quarter so far. And I think a pre song is going to make it into that list from that album. I mean, here it is, April, and I'm talking about an album that came out in January. So that's usually a good sign on something
0: probably making it into my end of the year list. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of times, at least for me, I'll sort of forget about a lot of January releases, especially those ones that come out like the first week of January, because at that point, you're still like, wait, what year is it? And you're kind of getting used to that. This is one that I have not listened to. So, for anyone who hasn't listened to this band, what would you say they're similar to? That is a good question.
1: If you are, I've never really been able to describe a band that's kind of like <laughs> priests, honestly. Putting you on the spot here. It's, and I hate using the term female fronted because it's not just fronted by Katie Alice Greer, all of the members just you know hold their own in the band i would say you know slater kenny possibly okay i can do a quick google search (laughs) i should do this on my phone so you don't hear me typing on my mac but here we are just type lightly (laughs) i don't know if there is such a thing to be honest though apparently the new macbooks it's the haptic touchpad or like the haptic keys okay yeah um, it's not good. I've heard a lot of people absolutely hating the keyboard. yeah, I've heard that too, so it makes me you know kind of happy that I still have my two thousand nine Franken Mac who <laughs> might as well see its end times. I don't know um, but let's see. priests are an n p r darling they've been on they were on NPR's 's first listen. I I definitely do have to say, you know, Slater Kenny, it's very, I don't want to like say something that will make people be like, what do you mean? That's what they sound like. It's very different. It's, that's really hard to describe. (laughs) But in this album, they've embraced, you know, some experimental stuff, blended in more pop, blended in some r&b as opposed to
0: straight up just punk okay and so it's definitely a good mix of a lot of different genres kind of yeah
1: so it's definitely the lyrics are there that's great and you know it's just a big political statement which i think is good for this current era we need some pretty good political hard hitters that are basically anti-authoritary and
0: anti this current awful administration right so i don't know yeah well why don't you go ahead and do another one because i get the feeling that once i start talking about wondercon i might get going for a little while here so go ahead and do another one of your recent discoveries and listens well while i'm on the topic of albums i'm going to talk about sofjan
1: Because let's talk about some feelings right now. (laughs) Last week, he announced um, the Planetarium Project, which also features the Nationals' Bryce Desner, a drummer named James McAllister, and Nico Molly. And this is a project that's kind of been floating around the internet for a few years. It originally came to light in 2013 when they performed it. And now it seems like it's getting a proper studio release. Jupiter is the first single from the Planetarium Project, and it is kind of along the Age of Odds, which is still an album that I still can't get into, but I love the Jupiter song. And as someone who is a slight space nerd, this excites me. It really, really does. So, you know, the beginning of the week, Sofian killed my feelings with that announcement, and then towards the end of the week, Asthmatic Kitty said, hey, did you know that Sofyan will also be releasing a live album of Carrie and Lowell? And I saw that concert live in 2015 in Richmond, and I cried. And it was beautiful. Like, that album is beautiful. It's even more beautiful live. And the fact that they made a live version of it is just, well, there go my feelings. Just take my money now. What's cool, though, about this particular live version of Karen Lovell is that it features a great cover song. And it will be featuring the cover Sufjan did of Hotline Bling. So, while I'm busy crying my eyes out, listening to and reliving... reliving... How Good Karen Lowell Was Live, I will be laughing my head off because that cover is so ridiculous. And who doesn't love a good Hotline Bling cover? Especially by Sofian Stevens.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And like I mentioned, I might go a little long on this. So, you know, feel free to interrupt me with any questions, Megan, if I get going too long and it's just me talking for a long time. But I did go to WonderCon this weekend, which for anyone who doesn't know, it's sort of a smaller scale Comic Con that takes place in Anaheim at the convention center right across the street from Disneyland. So as you can imagine, traffic was horrific. But that is besides the point. What I wanted to bring up was the fact that I went to some writers panels while I was there. I did one each day because I had been to WonderCon before, but I never went all three days. So when I went two years ago, I only went on Sunday. So I spent, you know, all day walking around and checking it out. I didn't really bother to figure out the panel schedule because they have like at least three or four panels going on at the same time. So it's extremely difficult to choose which ones you're going to. So I just went with a theme this year and chose to go to some of the writers panels. And even if you aren't wanting to be a fiction writer or that sort of thing, I still think that while these were largely comic book and TV based, you can still pull something out of it that you can apply to either nonfiction writing you know, even writing songs or that sort of thing, because some of it is just, you know, general, I guess, advice from these writers. And Megan, before I dive in, have you ever been to any writers panels or anything like that?
1: I haven't, or at least not that I can remember. (laughs) So back when I was in high school, um, my high school would send us to you know, these cool journalism conventions. And I'm sure I sat on some. I know I sat on video panels, but nothing comes to mind right off the bat. Like, I think if I had been able to get a ticket into the actual conference part of launch last year, I would have been sitting on some of the music writer panels. But instead, I went and saw concerts instead.
0: Not a bad choice. Not a bad choice. But Yeah, let me go ahead and just give you a quick breakdown of these. I went to three different ones. The first one was a solo panel with Marv Wolfman, who wrote The New Teen Titans, the Judas Contract storyline. And, you know, he wrote over 250 issues of Teen Titans in general. But this was sort of the big one because at WonderCon, they were also debuting the animated movie based on that specific story arc. So in the first panel, it was just him by himself in a writing 101 sort of Q&A type thing. And then the second panel I went to, he was also on and he was on it with Craig Miller, Ernie Altbacker and Holly Huckins, which they had all done writing. Some of them were, you know, doing writing for TV and Holly Huckins. You might not know her name, but she did big shows like Rugrats and Recess So she definitely sort of had a different perspective because she had worked on, I guess, more children's shows than the rest of the panelists. But the third one was on Breaking into Hollywood. And that was with Brandon Easton, Jeffrey Thorne, Tony Purrier, Erica Alexander, and Eric Dean Seaton. So that one was a little bit of a bigger panel. And, you know, the first one with Marv, it was more about sort of what you should think about before you start writing something. And he went through, you know, his steps for how he writes a story and how he writes characters. And, you know, it's really interesting how writers approach things. So that's sort of why I wanted to go to this because while it was more fiction based, and I don't necessarily write fiction because I'm reviewing albums and that sort of thing it was just interesting to see the process, because he literally had charts that he makes when he's writing characters. And, you know, he'll have each character on the chart, and then how they correlate to every other character that he's talking about. So he obviously used examples from comics he had written already. And, you know, you just sort of want to focus more On the characters than the plot necessarily. And it was just interesting how he goes about doing that. And, you know, he is basically like, if your character does not advance the plot, get rid of them, you know, kill them off, make them go away, and that sort of thing. And it was just really entertaining to sort of hear him essentially work out that process out loud while talking to the entire audience. And for the second one, it was actually on just writing dialogue, basically. And for anyone who has never tried to write dialogue, whether it was for like a school project or what have you, writing dialogue is not easy. I remember when I was in Spanish class in high school, we had to sort of do these videos. I think we were doing The Lion King or something like that. I don't even know what we were reenacting, but we had to write all of the lines in Spanish. So not only is it very hard to write dialogue in English, but doing it in another language is even harder. Megan, did you ever have to do like any projects like that? Oh, several.
1: Several several projects. Um it helped that you know the broadcast background allowed me to storyboard more efficiently and figure out some dialogue to ask. Right. But when it came time to non-broadcast things, like, say, for humanities classes or English classes, I had some experience with that. And I think for me, as someone who is extremely imaginative and creative, dialogue comes easier, if right. that makes any sense. And no, it does. kind of... Yeah, like thinking in that sort of way. And then this is why I'm always glad that in Spanish class, those projects were group projects so we could (laughs) all suffer together and do that. And needless to say, that one wasn't a horrible crash and burn, awful fiasco.
0: Yeah, and it was just really interesting listening to especially Holly talk about writing on the Rugrats because... It's one thing to be an adult and be writing lines for adults, but when you're an adult and you have to sort of think back on how children talk and I mean obviously if said adult has a child or has children or a child themselves it's maybe a little different but she was just talking about like you know Tommy is the leader and Chucky's always afraid so you have to keep your character consistent and it's not just about the words in the dialogue. It's about how these characters would say those words. And they were literally like, do not write dialogue in proper English, because no one (laughs) speaks the way you write an English paper. And I think that's something that's so true. And I feel like even when, you know, say you or I are pitching an article to someone, it's like, you know that some people write more conversationally than others, but you're not sure what this editor in particular likes better. So then you're like, okay, I guess I should just write this as formally as possible and hope they like it. But for me, I feel like when I do that, it's like, things make more sense in my head. But then when I try to formally write them out in a pitch, I'm just like, this doesn't sound as good as it did like 20 minutes ago. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's just, you know, really interesting for those two panels on that sort of writing specifically. And then the third one, like I said, it was more about breaking into Hollywood as a writer. And you know, they gave some good recommendations. One of the books they recommended reading is one I've already read, which is On Writing by Stephen King. Have you read that at all, Megan? I haven't read that. But we have
1: talked about that. And it's been on my list of books to actually read.
0: Yeah. And you know, That one is just such a good read in general. And Stephen King actually does the audiobook for it. So if any of you are not readers, maybe check that out in audiobook form because Stephen King is obviously a great storyteller because he's been a bestseller for who knows how many books. I'm sure he has like at least 60 books at this point. But these writers, they largely write for television. And then Erica Alexander is actually an actress as well. She's cousin Pam from the Cosby show, if that's going to ring any bells for anyone. It didn't do anything for me because I didn't really watch the Cosby show. And most people aren't thrilled with anything that has to do with Cosby right now. (laughs) But they just have a vague idea of who you're talking about. Okay. They just did a really good job of sort of recommending you tools to just get started. And they were like, if you're going to work on something, don't go telling the world about it until it's done. So, you know, they really emphasize keeping things sort of to a close knit group that you can trust, because then it's like, if you see something out there, you can just be like, hey, so we got to (laughs) talk. And it, it was just, you know, all three of these panels were really interesting. And I was a good little nerd and took some notes. So if anyone is interested on notes from that, feel free to reply on Twitter once this episode is up or something and I can get those to you. I know I'm already going to be sending the notes to quite a few people, so it's not going to matter if I have to send them to a few more because I think even if you don't want to do TV writing or comic book writing, there's definitely still something that can be related to if you want to do anything in the entertainment industry at all, probably.
1: That's true. I'm glad you had fun at WonderCon, too, this weekend.
0: Yeah, it was definitely a great experience because, like I said, I had only gone for a single day two years ago. And this year, my friend had a booth and she had an extra exhibitor badge. So the first day I got to go in early and sort of walk around when it was still like very silent in there. <laughs> and, you know, no one was walking around except people, you know, finishing last minute setups and whatnot. And then Saturday, it got crazy because, you know, obviously, people don't have to work. And for the most part, you know, most people are working on Friday and then not on Saturday. And it was jam packed on Saturday. And It's just really cool seeing so many different, you know, artists, writers, and creators in general, because, believe it or not, not everything at a comic convention actually has to do with comics. You know, you had artists who had dogs as desserts that they were drawing, which, Megan, I will have to send you a picture because I think you will really enjoy their art, just because it's so hilarious. But, you know, it's not all about, you know, like, Deadpool and X-Men and that sort of thing. There's a lot of different types of people there. And, you know, you get to meet some creators. Like I had some books signed by Mark Waid and Dustin Wynn who had worked on, you know, The Flash, Batman, and that sort of thing. So that was cool. And just the panels too. It's like, there's so much you can do that has absolutely nothing to do with, you know, cosplay and whatnot if that's not your thing. Oh, yeah.
1: And I know I saw some stuff from, like, the Orphan Black crew at WonderCon this weekend. Yeah. Like, oh, that looks like fun.
0: Yeah, and there was even someone dressed up for cosplay for Orange is the New Black. Like, it's not solely comic book stuff anymore. And I don't think it has been for a while because, like, this weekend they premiered the new episode of Prison Break since that's coming back this week. And, you know, it's not just, like... I mean, it is a nerd fest, basically, but it's for different kinds of nerds. It's like all the nerds are welcome. I mean, look at cons like KatsuCon or um, Comic-Con. It's for everyone now, which is really cool. Yeah, definitely. Do you have anything else of interest or discovery that you would like to talk about? Well, over the weekend, I went
1: and saw the Punch Brothers' banjo player, Gnome... And that was interesting. So I knew I was going to be watching a guy play banjo for a while. (laughs) When they said it was going to be a 90 minute show, I was just like, oh, oh, no, what am I gonna, like, what am I gonna expect? Um, I will say that I enjoy the Punch Brothers' music. So I was excited to see Gnome. And my friend Tim is actually on the road with him right now as his tech. So I got a double bonus of getting to see my friend Tim. And this is the most I've actually seen him. I've seen him twice now this year. <laughs> nice. That's a different story, though. <laughs> um, no, you know, had a 90-minute set. It was filled with some really good banjo tunes. And on top of that, he had three other stringed instruments with him. He had a steel guitar that I forget the name of. Um, it was not a steel pedal guitar. It was something different. An instrument that he said literally has no musical value whatsoever. (laughs) Um, A guitar and an electric guitar on top of the banjo. And he is actually a very personable, funny man. I mean, I was not expecting to sit through 90 minutes of music and comedy I mean, he told the crowd a story about how he was in a duo, a fiddle and a banjo duo, years ago. And they were invited to play at the Grand Ole Opry. And Roy Clark was the person who was introducing them. And I mean, he's got a weird name to say. So he was worried that Roy Clark was going to mess up his name and his partner's name was much easier. Well, Roy... Didn't quite butcher Gnome's name, but he butchered his partner's name, and that had everyone laughing for like five minutes. And on top of that, on top of all this comedy, he said a lot of the songs. He's been told he has a very funerary voice. So there were songs about death and how exciting death is. And who
0: doesn't love a good song about death? (laughs) Well, it definitely sounds like, you know, we both had great times this weekend. Oh, yeah. And I mean,
1: well, going from songs about death to WonderCon, (laughs) kind of funny, an interesting juxtaposition there. And this was actually one of the first shows I've gone to this whole year, which is kind of surprising, given that I normally try to go to a show a month.
0: Yeah, I can't even think of whether or not I've been to a show this year so far. I feel like I've just sort of been trying to go to fewer and fewer shows. One, because I seem to be way more tired. I don't know. I feel like I should not be this tired because when I was in Philly, I was going to shows pretty much all the time. I wouldn't say on a weekly basis, but some quarters at Drexel, it was pretty close between you know actually going to venues for shows and just going to house shows in someone's basement, which were much easier to get to and walk to. But yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, I maybe went to one thing so far. I don't think I have, actually. Newfound Glory this month might be the first show of the year for me.
1: Yeah, like, I would have gone to a concert last week, but I was recovering from a minor bout of food poisoning (laughs) and just wasn't feeling up to it. Um, So I'm going to end up seeing the band Gold Connections along with Suburban Living in, like, a week and a half down in Richmond instead, which will be fun. And then on Sunday, I've got The Decemberists with Julian Baker. That
0: will probably be a very, very good show.
1: Oh, I I am so excited. Spencer got me tickets for my birthday, or got us tickets for my birthday, I should say. Not me, because I'm not, you know, taking a rando. (laughs) But it'll be interesting to see Julian open for The Decemberists because... They have two different styles, and I'm not sure that a lot of the Decemberists fan base might be super, super familiar with her. Right. So that will definitely be quite an interesting thing to see, like whether she'll have a band with her or if it's just going to be her on stage at the National. So I don't know. I'm excited for both Julian and the Decemberists because this tour, they will be playing some new music. Like, it's literally just a random assortment of songs, both old and new. So this should be fun.
0: Yeah. And that basically rolls us into recommendations because I know you want to recommend something of Julian's. (laughs) This is so true. Her song, Distant Solar Systems,
1: is incredible. It was released on the 17th of March, I believe. Sounds about right. And I think it's off her funeral pyre, Seven Inch. I want to say I could be wrong on this, but it's one of two new songs she has definitely released this year. And out of those two, Funeral Pyre and Distant Solar Systems, I'd have to say the latter is honestly one of my favorites this year so far. Nice. And then the other two recommendations are the new Bleachers track, which premiered over the weekend. Jack Antonoff had people hitting a pinata in Times Square to release USBs of the song, which <laughs> is really cool, actually, yeah. when you think about it. And then Gorillas are back, not with one new song, but with four new songs, and they're all fantastic.
0: Yeah, and I'm definitely going to second that Bleacher's recommendation. I didn't watch the video when it came out, but I have listened to the song since then, and I am really excited for whatever album he ends up releasing, which I hope it is this year, because I feel like it has been a very long time since we got that first record. Yeah. I remember when he was
1: in Fun. That was such a long time ago. I kind (laughs) of wish
0: Fun would release some new music, but eh.
1: Yeah.
0: And I remember seeing Bleachers when I went to Outside Lands. I think I determined on my latest episode of Welcome to Geekdom, that that was in 2014. So we'll see if I actually got that right. But he performed there and put on a great performance live. And I'm sort of really surprised that it's taken this long to get new music out, whether it was from Bleachers or Fun or any of his projects, basically, but still looking forward to it. And my other suggestion, because I was at WonderCon this weekend, is to go buy some art prints from artists you like. It doesn't matter who that is or how many prints you buy, if you just buy little prints or big prints or whatever, I just really suggest, you know, supporting the artists you like. And I know Modern Vinyl posts a lot, actually, about Mondo, and they do screen prints as well as vinyl releases, so they might even be a good place to check out if you've liked some of the music stuff they've done. That's true. Mondo does put out good stuff, too, so... Yeah, I think it was them that put out the Batman-shaped vinyl that I bought. It's, you know, the Batman logo for the s-
1: mm-hmm. intro song for so. Batman
0: the Animated Series. That I think that might be the only thing... I've bought from Mondo because their stuff is a little on the higher end as far as prices go. But, you know, because they're doing such limited runs on stuff and they do all of the printing and that sort of thing. And it's well, I wouldn't say they do all the vinyl pressings themselves, but I know they're very involved in the printing process for like their shirts and any posters and stuff like that. At least I'm pretty sure on that. I think so. Well, that wraps it up for this week. Megan, thank you for joining me as always. Mm -hmm. And to our listeners, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.